everybody. We are coming at you again with episode five of the podcast. Can you believe that, Tom? I can't believe we've managed to put up with each other all the way through to episode five. We're in a different place again. We're in your office. We just keep jumping about. You know, we dabbled with going outside for this one. Um, we're going to come at you from outdoors one of these days, I'm telling you now. But at the moment, we are in my office. Your lovely penthouse office with uh, panoramic views of the roof of the canteen and the bus stop. Hey, don't you be dissing my view. We've got a lovely blue sky. I ordered that in special for you. It's very nice. And it's better than my office, which is firmly down on the ground floor and I'm very easy to find. I think uh, if anyone's putting smart money on who the next vice chancellor is and judging it by office, you are definitely in the lead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know, Tom. (laughs) Now, we have reached that really scary point in the year and... Not to kind of dumb down how scary this must be for our student teachers going off, but it's actually scary for us as well because we've had to say goodbye to them. They're off on their first school experience placement. They've been there for three days now and so far, so good. I haven't had any panicky emails yet. Have you, Tom? I've had pretty much nothing. It's been radio silence from my students. I know it's scary for all of us, isn't it? We have our two intensive weeks with them. They come back off primary school week and then we're just saying buy off for your placement they all go off looking terribly frightened but nobody said anything so I'm assuming they're having a really nice time yeah and and we'll we'll do a little shout out um, a little bit later on that will resonate with some of our student teachers but for now what have you been up to Tom well it's uh, been an interesting week because it's a little known fact that we also have an undergrad program for teacher training in music and those lovely people have come back this week so as soon as my PGCs disappear off I have to kind of gather in these undergraduates and get them off teaching and they have a lot more university time so my lovely in fact this is a nice mini shout out to my lovely four people that are currently on the undergraduate uh, music teacher training course they've started they're going out to school in October and it's really lovely to see them again. Oh well welcome back undergrads indeed to all undergrad teacher trainees out there we hope that you've had a really good start to the year. Well I wanted to give us a shout out Tom actually because we've been cooking up some ideas about conferences and what we're going to attend this year we've got bids coming up um, deadlines for bids and actually the thing that we're going to have a deep discussion about today is something that we're really hoping to present in its most recent iteration at a conference so we want to have a deep discussion with you all today about working in a cross-curricular way Yeah, and this is very much prompted by developments in the education system here in Wales. Now, I happen to know from looking at the statistics for our listeners that there seem to be quite a lot of you listening from outside Wales, indeed outside the UK. So we should probably just detour and give a really potted explanation as to why we're finding ourselves working in a cross-curricular way these days. Good idea. And we can't really do that without mentioning uh, or name-dropping again Professor Graham Donaldson. Ah, Mighty Donaldson, yes. Absolutely. So he, I think we mentioned in a previous episode, wrote a report about the education system in Wales, curriculum arrangements, assessment arrangements called Successful Futures. And in that, he identifies 12 pedagogical principles that he recommends are going to kind of define and, and underpin the new curriculum for Wales. It's probably worth mentioning as well 
PISA tests. Yeah, we mentioned PISA in episode one and we didn't really explain what it was, did we? So yeah, for the uninitiated there, Emma, what is PISA? PISA is the Programme for International Student Assessment. It's basically an initiative by the OECD, who are the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. And it's basically a worldwide study conducted by them. And in real terms, 15-year-olds in multiple international locations, Wales being one of them, in fact, all of the home nations take tests in maths, science and literacy and they're very kind of problem solving based tests. These are done every, I want to say every three years Tom? Yeah three or four, something like that. Every few years PISA rocks up doesn't it? It does and the outcomes and the data produced by these tests are actually really really instrumental in helping Welsh government, indeed other governments make decisions about education and the focus areas in development plans. I think we touched in the first episode upon the fact that we uh, in Wales have not officially covered ourselves in glory in the PISA results for the past few times actually that we've done it. Yeah agreed but I think as we've said before we're gaining a lot of momentum now in curriculum reform and one of the key reforms that's currently being fleshed out and problem solved and thrashed out with teachers across Wales is pedagogy and we're going to kind of drill down into one of the proposed 12 pedagogical principles in fact pedagogical principle number eight which is good teaching and learning ranges within and across areas of learning and experience and another detour it's worth mentioning that in Wales our new curriculum reforms are moving in secondary well across the board really but the biggest changes in secondary from separate subjects to areas of learning and experience and one of the six areas of learning and experience that is now named on the new curriculum for Wales is the expressive arts and that's music drama art film and digital media Dance. Dance. That's the one that frightens me. Yeah. So I guess what we really wanted to do was to get our head around this pedagogical principle. We've got some guiding quotes that have helped us start off some work with our students that actually turned into a research agenda. And I think it's probably worth us right off the bat reading out to those two guiding quotes. Shall I take the first one, Tom? Yeah, you take the first one. Okay, so Donaldson says in Successful Futures, if powerful connections within and between the areas of learning and experience can be found, they are likely to improve and reinforce learning in the constituent disciplines. And one of the first literature sources we came across when we were reading up about how to make this happen in our classroom was Fortley and Savage's book, Cross-Curricular Teaching and Learning in the Secondary School, and it's the expressive arts, one of those. Cross-curricular approaches are about synthesising ideas, but this should not be done in a way that destroys the cherished ideas and ways of thinking that every subject contains. And we really like that quote because we came at this from a place of deep respect for one another's subjects, most definitely. And we found that that was really necessary when looking to see what maybe what compromises you have to make and where you need to understand the important things that teachers of other subjects hold dear really absolutely and it's probably worth reiterating to listeners who maybe are just joining us for this episode for the first time that my subject discipline is drama and tom's subject discipline is music so we really wanted to a try and understand and think about how 
cross-curricular pedagogy would look in practice. So we're coming at this from a theory angle and a practice angle. And we really wanted to unpick these quotes and think about, well, what does Donaldson mean when he says powerful connections between areas of learning and experience can be found? And, you know, what does that mean for learning? And what do Fortley and Savage mean when they talk about synthesising ideas within subject areas? You know, we really wanted to try and get under the skin of what that looks like in practice. And I suppose we've mentioned this before in a previous episode that we're in a really privileged position here because we have the space and the time and the student teachers to really explore this free of the kind of things that can hold you back while you're trying to run a working school in the background. We don't have to stick to one-hour lessons. We can move around. We can change things around. And I think it's really important for our student teachers here to see themselves in a slightly different way because I suppose the traditional idea is that they are starting off, they're like apprentices, they're learning to do teaching the way that people who are better than them do it. But here we're flipping things around because these student teachers could potentially be going off into schools with greatly needed new ideas and actually be contributing something to move things along in school, even while learning the basics of classroom management and behaviour management and things like that while they're in the departments. There's the gravitas as well of a clear mandate from Welsh Government that this new curriculum is coming it is going to be in place from 2022. So we do have a clear sort of steer from Welsh Government to make sure that as an an ITE institution that we address cross-curricular pedagogy. So yeah, we were quite excited about this prospect, Tom, weren't we? So we thought we'd design some kind of encounter between music and drama <laughs> students an encounter that's one way of putting it yeah, yeah or in fact several, what turned out to be several encounters culminating in one cross-curricular day of loveliness where we could explore for slightly longer than we normally do on a monday cross-curricular pedagogy within the expressive arts and i think it's important here as well to just kind of puncture any sort of self-important ideas here and point out to all of our listeners that the first encounter between our students actually took place over a pint in the student union. Mm -hmm. It did indeed you know supported by academic seminar style questions to unpack the quotations that we've just read Tom. Yes but mainly to make sure that there wasn't any horrible awkwardness when they first met on the cross-curricular day and I think that is a really important thing we can't underestimate the fact that we need to create the conditions for people to work together in a really productive way. And sometimes that involves a pint. I would agree with all of that. And actually, this was reinforced by the literature, we'll have you know. (laughs) You know, environment and space is actually a really a really important factor to consider within teaching and learning within a higher education institute as well. Tom talked a little bit about the barriers in schools that can be experienced, particularly in secondary school environments, where actually geographically music and drama teachers could exist within the same school, but their paths may never cross until maybe the, the whole school production, perhaps. So it was really important that we integrated with these students with one another. They felt comfortable before we asked them to tackle some pretty challenging situations within a, within a lecture slash workshop environment. And we had absolutely no idea, did we, the first time we did this, what on earth was going to happen. I mean, our brief to the students was pretty wide and 
the first thing that we had to do was to make them feel a little bit confident with the skills of the other subject because I don't know how much this is the case for drama but for music we really do fight against this myth and I really do believe it's a myth that it's really inaccessible it's really elitist and if you're not some kind of international soloist standard musician you've got nothing to bring to the subject exactly and I guess from a drama perspective we harbour similar sort of feelings of insecurity about our subject that come from a legacy of comments such as oh well you just all pretend to be trees in drama and um, that we're perhaps a little bit wafty we uh, we all wear floaty scarves and and don't do a hell of a lot really <laughs> so you know it was a a kind of a myth busting exercise b an opportunity to in a very safe way bring our opposite students into the opposite discipline if that makes sense so basically what that means in practice was that I took the music students off into the drama studio and I took the drama students into the music room and we were both really careful to make sure that the stimulus that we used for these workshops was recognizably something from the other subject so from my perspective I used melodrama as a starting point which for those of you who don't know anything about melodrama combines both melody and drama so there was a music link there so there was a hint of the familiar in what they were doing in the drama space and I asked the drama students to use a piece of film which I'd removed the soundtrack from and compose the music to go with it so there was something dramatic there there was something visual and I think I was really pleasantly surprised straight away by the fact that the drama students had all the vocabulary they needed to understand how to structure a piece of music and make it fit with the action on the screen. It was really encouraging. So if you're out there trying to work out how to bring your subjects together, once you've done the first stage and had a pint or a cup of tea, the next thing to do, I think, is to look for where you can come up with an activity that still has a flavour of the other subject in. And you might be really amazed at how many skills people already have in your subject. I think that's a really good first top tip. And that certainly came to pass with the music students in the drama space. They had to create a piece of performance work, active performance work, showing some stock melodrama characters, but they were doing it to a piece of music. So again, they already had the sort of the music vocabulary, the technical vocabulary that helped them match up the action with the music. And by doing that, they were then able to articulate some of the converging lines between the knowledge and skills across our disciplines. So the theme so far really, and I think this is well worth reinforcing, is we need to put people at their ease. We always mention this a lot with our student teachers, that we have to keep our pupils feeling safe in a creative space. And I think if we'd not modelled that a little bit with our student teachers, that would have been a shame because it is really scary doing this. It's new, it's scary. I don't think we knew entirely what we were doing when we first did it. And our instinct was just to make people slightly less scared before we opened things up and gave them this very, very open brief to create a cross-curricular 
what did we call it? Learning experience. We didn't even want to call it a lesson, did we? We didn't want to call it a lesson. We didn't want to put too much on it that would perhaps steer them in a particular direction. Creativity was very important. What we did emphasise, though, was some of the things that were coming through from Donaldson, which is that what we weren't looking for was artificial connections between the subjects. What we weren't looking for was a workshop or lesson or whatever it was that they produced that was simply a little bit of music and then a little bit of drama and never the twain shall meet. And with that set of instructions ringing in their ears, we gave them the complete run of the music and drama spaces, the coffee shop, the outside area, the canteen, anywhere they wanted to go. We opened doors that had previously been locked. We did all kinds of things. And then we pretty much just walked away. <laughs> we did, we did. So it was really important, and I think um, this this is going to be happening across Wales at the moment, to allow teachers time and space to really problem solve how they're going to make this happen in relation to curriculum design and how they're going to make this happen in relation to pedagogy. So that was were the circumstances that we wanted to create for our student teachers. And then we got on to them actually teaching one another so delivering their workshops or lessons to one another and I think what we'd like to uncover is some of the best practice now that we saw. Yeah and what we really liked was uh, some of the more creative ways that the students managed to incorporate music or drama into the activities. I think at its less successful we found one or other subject got a little bit of second class treatment I suppose was a little bit bolted on or, or was kind of less rigorously covered but when people did it the best uh, was when the two subjects happened really seamlessly together and one was not the slave of the other, which is kind of harder to do than it is to say. It is, and I think it's. it was also evident in those that were kind of promoting best practice and best learning, really, was where one discipline was supporting the learning in the other and vice versa. So, for example, if uh, I think we had one piece where the students were tasked to come up with a rap, um, so they were dealing with rhythms, they were dealing with various music techniques, they were also dealing with the lyrics and, and literacy, so that was kind of baked in too. But they were also then performing this orally, so you've got the performance aspect coming through, so how they brought that rap to life, and they had some action running alongside it. So you really did have that interdisciplinary mode of working and performance as an outcome. And one of the interesting themes we came across when we were doing this was the need for teachers slash student teachers to increase the amount of autonomy given to their learners and obviously I said earlier on that we walked away uh, and let them get on with it and the best activities they devised were the ones where it was left to the learners to decide in what order and in what way they combined the two subjects and the ones that were least successful I think were the ones where the student teachers slash teachers put their classroom management hat on a little bit too firmly and started getting into that instinctive thing of saying, I want you to spend five minutes doing the music bit. And then when you've done that, you can have five minutes doing the drama bit, which kind of killed off any opportunities for the learners to solve problems in one area by kind of putting it to one side and going around it by working on the other area, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. And I think the important thing in relation to the role of the teacher after 
pupils have been working very independently and actively in a cross-curricular way is to help them to identify the skills and the knowledge that they've learned from the respective subject disciplines after that event has taken place. So for example, going back to the RAP example, looking at things like rhythm, you know, identifying some technical music terminology and activity that they've been engaging in and from a drama perspective the the choice of performance techniques used etc so it's a quite a complex process that involves a lot of problem solving a lot of creativity both of which are really important factors to the new curriculum reforms going forward but also some real expertise on the part of the teacher in knowing when to step back and allow that creativity to to flow and knowing when to step in and to bring them back to focusing on the individual subject disciplines. And I think we really can't underestimate the amount of reflection and discussion and reading and all that kind of thing that's going to need to feed into this because I know we we just kind of jumped blindly into this project and had a very nice time, but we really did have to spend a lot of time unpicking it afterwards, talking about it, reading about it, writing it up and presenting it in order to find the next step and the solutions to the problems that we found and in order to make it better. And I think having been through this process now, we realise that we've still got a lot of, of reading and research to do and data to gather that will feed into our knowledge and understanding of cross-curricular pedagogy and how it can work in practice so that we can continue to hone what we're doing at university so that we can disseminate this a little bit more widely and maybe even trial it in schools. And indeed, so we can converse with pioneer teachers and not not even pioneer teachers schools out there that are already having a go at this to get their views and and to get their experiences and this is another theme we've talked about in this podcast before isn't it which is that our student teachers out in school and our mentors and our subject specialist teachers are researchers they probably don't see themselves as researchers but they really are and what they've got to offer i think needs to be disseminated more widely Absolutely. So I guess going forward, I I still want to know um, what cross-curricular pedagogy can look like and indeed what a learner who has been through a cross-curricular lesson will have gained that's maybe over and above what they gain in a non-cross-curricular lesson. I think that's definitely something to to look into. So in terms of their behaviours, their skills, their competencies, Donson talks about one of the defining features of 21st century education is the capacity to make connections and transfer knowledge and understanding across contexts and use this to address unfamiliar problems. I would really want to be able to to stand up in front of my teacher trainees and say, yes, the expressive arts, if approached in a cross-curricular way, can achieve this. Yeah, and I know from my own experience teaching pupils that as the secondary system is set up at the moment, they really, really struggle to make those connections. They just have everything in a box marked with the name of your subject in their minds. And I know that I used to spend hours and hours working on voice production techniques And I knew for a fact that they probably went upstairs to the drama department and completely failed to use those when they were acting in the studio or they went down the corridor to English and completely failed to use them when they were doing their public speaking or debating because they just 
didn't see skills as transferable and hopefully this might solve that very very frustrating problem. And I suppose a health warning to all of you teacher trainees out there, indeed teachers who might be thinking well I'm only just starting to understand how to teach my own subject and now you're asking me to think about combining it with another subject, how am I possibly going to achieve that? And I guess we can answer that from our own personal experiences at the start of this project and I must say that for both of us looking into one another's disciplines, um, the knowledge, the skills associated with it was a really refreshing starting point, not only for us learning about the other subject, but also reinforcing what we know to be true about our own disciplines. Yeah, and I know you've said to me, you described the idea of looking at something through something else. And it really made me see my own subject differently. When I looked at it through the context of drama, I read the drama subject books or some of them, and it gave me a whole new angle on music as a subject, which I hadn't had before. It's interesting to think now what listeners might get from this. Now, that was a very specific example. It involved music and drama, but I really hope that somebody out there who maybe is considering putting some languages together or maths and science or something like that can maybe extrapolate some of these ideas and see how it could be done in a different cross-curricular way because it certainly isn't something that should just be going on in the expressive arts. Absolutely and, and I guess Tom you've done a little bit of work on that where you've already started to think about the the commonalities between PE and music which is very exciting. Yeah the more I think about it actually the more I think music has in common with PE than it does with some of the expressive arts. And I wonder whether having PE, with the exception of dance, which is normally under the PE umbrella at the moment, in a different area of learning and experience might mean that people miss that particular connection. But there is definitely a huge connection between music and PE in terms of the range of abilities in the classroom, that kind of elite culture. You know, you get your elite sports people and your elite musicians. A lot of that stuff is very similar, so I'm, I'm interested in looking into that most definitely. So hopefully this has given you some food for thought beyond the realms of the expressive arts. But for those of you who are going to be teaching in Wales going forward, this is something that is coming and it's something that hopefully will start to reinvigorate your creativity. Definitely. It's well worth doing. So it's time for our regular well-being slot and Emma, you've been looking at issues of mood. I have and I can't take credit for this. My partner came home from work one day, he works in a different field, he's an engineer and dangling on his lanyard was what I now know to be a mood elevator physical representation pictural representation a mood um, elevator a mood elevator yeah so we're gonna we'll post this on on our instagram page so that you can see what it looks like but if you google mood elevator then you'll find it this was this kind of brainchild of dr larry sen who is a pioneer researcher of organizational culture and professes to want to help people live at their best mentally emotionally physically and purposefully and the mood elevator he purports to be kind of a key tool in helping that out and I and it got me thinking actually about it being maybe a, a useful tool for us in the world of education 
I'm going to read you a little bit of an extract from an interview with Dr. Larry Sen, and I'm just going to give you some of his top tips as well about how to use the mood elevator and to assist you with your wellness. Okay. So he says, basically, most of us ride the mood elevator hour to hour, day to day. So if you haven't looked at it already, the mood elevator basically is a description of moods ranging from the top mood at the top of the elevator, which is grateful wise, insightful, all the way down to the bottom of the mood elevator, which are uh, much more negative moods, mood descriptors, such as angry, hostile and depressed. Okay, he says, most of us ride the mood elevator hour to hour and day to day. We stay up on the mood elevator most of the time, but are not even aware when we're temporarily dropped down to irritated and bothered excessively judgmental or into an unhealthy impatience whenever we do he says our thinking is less reliable so he's kind of linking their mood to thinking and we do and say things we wouldn't in a higher mood state we actually lose points of both iq and eq which he defines as emotional intelligence when we do so that got me thinking actually If our mood is affecting the way that we think, then that's potentially going to be affecting the quality of our work. And if we're not more in tune with our mood, then perhaps we could be getting really, really hard on ourselves and, and, you know, self-flagellating when actually we just need to do a little bit of work on keeping our mood in check, thinking about where we're at and, and maybe thinking, well, actually, if I'm if I'm in the pits of the mood elevator, maybe I oughtn't be working on this particular problem at this point in time. Maybe I need to wait until I've elevated my mood and do a few things to, to elevate my mood. And it doesn't take much digging around to find loads of really interesting articles about this, which, which basically suggests that we're not very good at labelling how we feel or describing how we feel. I was reading a, a, an article in Psychology Today, which I found when you started talking to me about this, and I was ah. searching away because, you know, you always interest me with what you say. And they've done various experiments, including quite an interesting one, apparently, with people who are frightened of spiders. And they found that the best way to make them feel less awful in the presence of a spider was just to get them to be able to explain and label how it is that they feel. And that was quite interesting. Just half the problem is that we can't verbalise or kind of externalise what it is that we're experiencing when we're feeling all of these moods. The other thing I found that was interesting was a new categorization of emotions. I mean, the elevator is is great, you know, this idea you're going up and down, but there was a wheel of emotions. Ah, oh, yes. It's called Plutchik's Wheel of Emotions, if you're looking for it. And uh, it looks kind of like a multicoloured flower, like a sort of rainbow-coloured flower. But what I really liked about that was the way that it showed the relationships between the different emotions and how one that could be seen as quite positive, if it's taken too far in a particular direction, quickly sours into something less positive. Yeah. Larry gives some really... I'm calling him Larry, like he's my best, best <laughs> friend. friend. Larry. Dr. Sen <laughs> provides some additional kind of top tips. He's given five pointers that he's seen work really well when his clients use the mood elevator. The first thing he says is, become aware of your state of mind and use your feelings as your guide to the quality of your thinking. So actually before you start to do something that's going to involve quite a lot of kind of heavy thinking, check your mood first. Don't let unhealthy thoughts become so normal that you don't notice them. 
The second he says, which I think we can all kind of take on board here from a well-being perspective, is take better care of yourself. Our physical state plays a role in our thinking. When we get tired and worn down, we're more vulnerable to lower quality thinking and lower moods. Tom, are you trying to sabotage <laughs> my... dropped my pen. Sorry. <laughs> Carry <okay>. on. <laughs> Three, know your thoughts are unreliable when your mood drops. Now, this was just revelatory to me. And I, I think I probably always knew this somewhere inside of me. But he says our thoughts are often unreliable when we're in a lower state of mind. If possible, delay making major decisions until you move a few floors up the elevator. And I'm just thinking of our student teachers who maybe are really working late, they're tired, they're feeling like they're not getting anywhere with that lesson plan. And actually, they need to just down tools because their thinking quality isn't great, because they're tired, their mood is low. And actually, if they just give themselves some time until their mood is better, then perhaps that lesson plan might get a lot easier. Yeah, and the lesson will probably be better. I memorably once had to tell a student teacher to go home when I was a mentor. She was in my office. She was in tears. I was saying, well, what's the matter? And she said, oh, I was up until I think it was 3 a.m. doing, and I don't know what it was, but insert name of incredibly pointless piece of paperwork here. You know, it wasn't anything meaningful. And I just said, well, why? <laughs> because now you're not in a fit state to teach. You need to go home and sleep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I guess knowing where somebody else might be on the mood elevator is is an important thing to take from that too. You know, to be able to stand back and, and reflect on the person in front of you and give them permission. It's not very good at giving ourselves permission sometimes. No. Number four, maintain your perspective through gratitude and a sense of humour. I like this one. Taking the time to think each day of some things you can be grateful for is a powerful mood tonic. And I That's like that very word. nice, yeah. I like that. And then finally, now this one I thought was really interesting, particularly if you're a leader or a manager within education. Be aware of your leadership shadow. One reason to be aware of where you are on the mood elevator is that moods are contagious. Oh, they certainly are. Yeah. So the biggest shadow we bring to work each day is our state of mind or our moods. And I thought that was, again, sort of for, for thinking about going into the classroom, you know, from, from lesson to lesson. Don't let the bad mood that that one class has put you in carry forward, even though it's very hard move you on then and bleed into the next lesson that you have. And I think that links in a little bit to the thing we said in the last episode about be aware of your effect when you're chatting away in those social media groups. Moods can be contagious. Be aware of the prevailing mood in the staff room, particularly if you're sitting in a little group of student teachers and maybe there's a generally low mood around. It is contagious. And if you can feel yourself getting sucked in, sometimes you've got to walk away. Absolutely. So have a little look at the mood elevator in your own time. Use it, maybe print it out, put it on your wall, might be useful. Or carry it around on a lanyard like my partner does. I'm sure he looks marvellous with his lanyard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was the mood elevator. And now we're on to our something to try slot. And this week's something to try comes from one of my students, PGC drama student Chris Rio. And I'm not going to give this too much uh, of a lead in, but I'm just going to explain to you a little bit about the visual. So basically, this is a, a warm up or a starter activity. We'll talk about how you could use it later on down the line. But in terms of its setup and how it's actually being delivered, 
He is stood with his pupils in a circle and he is facilitating the exercise from the circle and modelling as he goes. But it's worth mentioning that this could be done at desks if necessary. So one other thing to say is that if you want to have us have a look at actually how this works in practice, you can catch it on Twitter or you can catch it on our Instagram page. So over to Chris for Gimme One. It's a game called Give Me One. It's a tall and game. Uh, so I literally just want you to know. So if I say, give me one, I want you to go, give me one, give me one, give me one. Nice. Everybody happy with one? Yeah. Yes. Okay. If I say, give me two, give me two, give me two, give me two, give me one. Oh, I got it wrong. Oh, I warned you. Okay. For my benefit, give me one, give me one, give me two, give me one. Fantastic. Okay. Are you ready for level three? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do this at half speed to start off with. Mostly for my benefit again. <laughs> so if I say give me three, it goes. Okay. So we'll do it a couple of times. Give me three. Give me three. Give me three. Give me three. Fantastic, we're at full speed. <laughs> Shall we combine all three? Yes. 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 Give me one. Give me one. Give me one. Give me two. Give me two. Give me one. Give me three. Give me three. Give me two. Give me one. Nice. <laughs> okay, let's get funky. <laughs> so if I say break it down, it goes like this. So it's chest, click chest, then it's give me one. And it's chest, click chest. Everybody happy? Okay. I mean, you look terrified. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're just going to practice break it down a couple of times. Break it down. Break it down. Oh, I could do it on. I'm the opposite. <laughs> okay, should we put them all together? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. Give me one. Give me one. Give me two. Break it down. Give me one. Give me one. Give me three. Give me two. Give me two. Break it down. And stop. And I should say I was actually there when that took place and I was thoroughly impressed with that. It's a great music warm-up as well. But we were talking about this, weren't we, and saying that I, we would hate for anyone to think this was not usable in any subject, really. Yeah, and we had a good think about this and so did our students actually about where you could use this exercise and when you could use it in a lesson. 
I think some of the ideas that are great are that it's great for for concentration and for focus or for refocusing. So say your pupils have come from a lesson where they're not quite ready to learn, you want to get their heads back in the game, you could use it as a starter to get them nice and focused. Or if they've been doing something that's quite sort of labour intensive and you want to sort of get them a bit a bit more motivated you could do this in the middle of the lesson it's really great because it's gimmicky it's enjoyable and it disrupts the norm Um, and that can be really useful from a learning perspective but also from a classroom management perspective Um, so for example this could be used when your pupils are working independently and actively as a classroom management technique to get them all back focused on you Yeah, it's a great thing to have up your sleeve. Anything which forces the pupils to put their attention straight on you and copy what you're doing. Because much as we love to get them all working independently, actively all around the room, you need something to get them back quickly. And uh, I think there are lots of really good metaphors that can be drawn from it as well that you could sort of tease out with your pupils about working together as an ensemble, working together as a, a as a whole class and the importance of that in this exercise, in making the exercise successful and fun. It's also really really fun to take part in so if you want an incentive for the end of the lesson uh, to get them you know doing those last few maths problems or whatever it is that you're doing then you could say we're going to do give me one at the end yeah and you don't need a big space or a circle you could do it standing up in rows you could do it lined up outside the classroom if necessary i love that activity and i'm totally stealing it me too thanks a lot chris So it's time for the shout out and we always like to use this slot to big up somebody who's doing something amazing out in the classroom. We're going to do it slightly differently today. We're recording this as we mentioned at the top of the episode just at the point where we've released our student teachers out into their schools. They've disappeared off. We have no idea what's going on. But because of the delay there is between recording, editing and actually releasing the episodes, this one is going to come out just at the point that these PGC students that we look after and the rest of PGC Secondary are going to start their full teaching loads. So they'll have spent a few weeks observing and helping out and looking around the school and finding out where the photocopier is and things like that. But we're now at the point where their 10 hours a week are getting very real indeed. So rather than shouting out to an individual, we wanted to shout out to all of them at the same time. And just to say that, okay, we only really know the music and drama cohorts and a few of the others from our mixed class generic sessions, I have to say, I think they're going to be great. I think you're going to be fantastic. And just remember, you know, why you you decided to do this. And I'm sure for all of you at the heart of that is that you want to make a difference to your pupils' lives. And you most certainly will be doing that when you start to teach them. It's not going to be easy all the way. You'll have good days and bad days. I think it's one of those things we always say about teaching that you will have huge highs. You'll have similarly huge lows. But generally speaking, I think the good points most definitely outweigh the bad points. Just enjoy it. Don't stress. Don't feel you've got to set the world on fire straight away. But remember that you are going to bring something unique to your department and your school. And you're going to change the lives of some pupils. You are. So enjoy it. Good luck. Have a great time. We think you're great. And just knock them dead. Poor bloke, everybody. 
And that's us done. That's the end of another episode. Episode five is sorted. Um, Hopefully you've got something useful out of that, whether that is starting to think about how you can connect your subject to another one, whether it's uh, Chris Rio's activity that you're going to steal, or whether you're quaking in your boots at the thought of teaching your 10 hours. um, Hopefully something good has come out of this. Remember to check your mood first. Check your mood first. Um, I'm going to get thrown out of Emma's lovely office now and return back to Earth. And we'll see you or speak to you next time. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGCE podcast, brought to you by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Our thanks go out to the talented Chris Rio, the PGCE drama and music students past and present involved in all our cross-curricular work and all of our lovely colleagues who've supported us along the way. We're off to elevate our moods with a rousing rendition of Gimme One and maybe a pint or two. Until next time, enjoy teaching. I've lost the stop button. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, technical Uh, problem. There it is.